and welcome to River Road Podcast, Episode 1, Series 1. Uh, this is where we look at all things creative arts and learning and education. River Road started as a combination of a number of elements, which includes an online music school, an agile learning platform, and a core philosophy that learning is a personalised experience. It is not evaluated on the quality of the outcome, but the quality of the learning that one uh, experiences towards that outcome. But above all else, we believe in enabling others to better themselves and others. Each episode, we're going to bring you a mix of topics and discussions. Uh, we'll put learning and education under the spotlight. We will not be taking any prisoners and we'll engage with various guests from industries within music, creative arts, education, political, technology and the sciences. I'm Patrick Donnerstein. I'm one of the founders of River Road, who myself and other River Roaders will very much look forward to bringing these exciting and topical areas and discussions to you. I'm joined today with Mr. Adam St. John, um, genius marketing uh, experts. Good, um, glad you remembered that. This is take two, so he remembered that from take one, so that's fine. Uh, we're coming from his actual Mint Creative Hub, where a number of projects are always happening, so um, you will you will hear every now and then a bit of a hive activity. That's usually when they've uh, they've they've done a done a win, haven't they? They've excited about something. Well, they've got a sale or something, or they're pretending to, or they're just excited to go home. But, yeah. So these th- these environments are very much a big passion of mine. I know um, Adam gets sick of me using the word creative hub, but it, to me it, it pretty much encapsulates an environment where it, where people can be themselves, they can create fearlessly, and you know essentially try and better the world. But um, Today we're going to kick off just talking about education, talking about learning, um, and um, I think just to give a bit of background, um, I myself um, come from um, higher education background, working in course design and heads of department, uh, looking at compliance, and most importantly, um, really looking to this River Road project as a way to support people in, in their own learning pathway and what they need to develop their own skills to reach their personal goals. But Adam, do you want to kind of tell us a little bit about you, yourself? And yeah, my background, um, Pat, um, and also, you know, thanks for having me here. Um, it's great to discuss this subject because it is kind of um, passionate to myself as someone that was um, um, disdained any form of education <laughs> as a child and then found myself for the past 15 years being heavily involved with it. So I've been in Australia for 20 years. I'm originally from... Um, from just near London in England, I've been for 20 years. Um, I've been, um, I've had several marketing ag- agencies. The current one is Mint Marketing Creative, so in Surrey, um, currently in Surrey Hills. And, um, but I was, um, uh, I've dealt with several, uh, several brands, including retail, wine, food, um, fashion, but primarily in, um, in education and primarily music education for the past, um, t- t- Eight to eight to nine years, and and what really excited me about speaking to Pat and um, some of the former staff in the one of the institutions that um, we worked with together was um, was the way people learned, and there was one mentor particularly that said um, that said some things to me that really kind of kind of resonated with me in the fact that you can. And it's kind of the story of my life when I was a bit younger. And essentially, I used to fail. But I was really, I was really bright. I'm not going to big up myself, but I was. I was bright. It was always, you, you haven't reached your full potential. Because I, I always failed the test. Um, 
but socially I was good in collaborative environments I was good I was learning well I, I you know but I didn't pass the test at the end. And it made me start, you know, I really started thinking about this. And when um, I spoke to Pat and about the River Road project, I started thinking um, a lot more about this and how this really could change. And there's a lot of platforms out there. And people are learning in different ways now. I mean, we know this, they're out there. You can see a dozen Facebook adverts for people to, to teach you how to play chords. But what really gets me and what excites me is that, and this is not just about music, this is about people that want a simple outcome. And it's not necessarily about an accredited certificate. It's about they need some skills to reach the outcome that they need. And that got me, I'm not gonna say the word moist, but I've just said it. <laughs> it got me excited. I thought, wow, that, that's something that I wanna do. That's something I can sell. That's something I can speak to other people about. That's something that is, you know, uh, that's tangible and real. Because everyone, everyone has something they want to slightly improve on, but they, they may be nervous or, um, or don't want the commitment of, of doing a two-year, three-year, four-year, five-year, two-week, four-week, or however, however long it is, course. Um, Pat can elaborate on this and, and, and about the, the way River Road works. Mm -hmm. But... Um, especially with the one-on-one -on -one learning. It, it, um, sorry, I've diversed completely on my background, but essentially that was it. I, 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 I was from England, I've come here, I've worked in education, and now I'm working with education partners that excite me. And, and one of them is, um, well, the only one is River Road. Well, when you think about education and think about you know, providers and think about those um, you know, very, very structured um, institutions, you know, what, what are the, some of the things that you remember walking into your first tertiary education provider? Like, what are the, some of the things that kind of hit you that you thought, what, you know, what could be better or what, what wasn't quite working, you know? I, I always thought in the tertiary space, I have, what, I have got one comment about the primary school space because I've got two young children. They have one little task in the day and that, that is to put their little stuff in a little cubby hole and put their coat up, and put their lunch in their box, and some kids just don't do it. But I understand that little system. That's given them that little bit of responsibility, and they're going to grow into be fantastic adults. It's all a load of whatever, but that's fine. I get that. So, um, the middle school process, it's the same. It's just going, you just have to turn up. The outcome, the outcome's... You know, the, the amount of HSCs you get and whatever, it's all part of this kind of, uh, the, the, the slow process to just get to uni and get to the golden egg and get to tertiary and then you get your degree and you, and you get the, you know, you get this big thing and then you get your job and it's all done and it's all mapped out. We know the world is different now. So when it comes to tertiary, when I entered that environment and I walked in, I noticed that the people that were most successful were the ones that were least talented. They were actually the ones that put their hand up first, especially with the performance side of music. They weren't necessarily the most talented um, students there, but they were the ones that were always there. And they would often fail. And they dropped out. And they actually had great, they had great success. They went there for the outcome they needed. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and um, especially with performance and, and composition, um, 
the songwriters, they almost went there just to learn what they needed and then just dropped out and went, I, I've got what I need now, so I'm off. And they, yeah. and they had very successful careers, um, which shouldn't be the case. If you're going to spend 30 grand, 40 grand, 50 grand, 60 grand, 100 grand on a tertiary degree, surely you need what you need to do to su succeed. But the ones that succeeded in a commercial sense or a financial sense are what they needed to, 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 to be happy. Some people don't want to be commercially successful. They just want to learn some skills and go forward. Yeah. Those, the, the, the people, that's what struck me. I was like, who's that quiet guy at the back of the room? And then I saw him perform and went, oh my God, this guy's incredible. Dropped out. First, first study period or trimester or whatever it was, dropped out. And then went to great success because he got what he needed. Hmm. He needed, he learned the tools he needed. And primarily that was always with a mentor or a particular teacher. I had a teacher called Mr. Briggs and he was a physics teacher. I didn't pass physics. I have no passion for physics. Um, and I would never be a physician. <laughs> but he taught me, you know, yeah, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen now. Sorry, Mr. Briggs, if you're listening to this. But um, I end up in the media world. But he taught me, he, he, he taught me more. So um, about behaving myself, being quiet, um, paying attention. He taught me more personal skills. So he's my favorite teacher. Um, that's that's the outcome I needed at that time in my life. Yeah, I, yeah. I I needed a mentor. I yeah. needed a mentor to go, Adam, be quiet. Yeah, <laughs> but but I think I think that's what we've we've potentially have lost um, with such a regimented schooling system, is natural influences to come into our lives to teach us stuff. Now you're talking about a teacher. You know we can all refer to other mentors in our lives, be it parents or uncles or even brothers. You know, um, I, I can think of even in my early coming straight out of the school and going into construction, and there was definitely a, a discipline and a work ethic that was developed through that process. I was never going to, I knew as soon as I walked into it, I was never going to stay in construction. It's all a sham, Pat's a brickie. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was really important to allow me to, to get to the point where I could handle deadlines, I could kind of understand that, okay, this is what I have to achieve today, and, mm. and it annoys Adam mm. to death still to this point. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's it's things that we look at. Okay, that wasn't a unit or a class or a PowerPoint slide delivered by a teacher. That was influences of of, of uh, skills and knowledge or learning mm. coming from multiple ways. Now, yeah. we, we can't we can't just um, obviously just all say you know River Road's doing this. Like we have to look at. You know what's happening in the higher education, even like SAE. SAE's looking at things around um, holistic assessment, putting some good research into that space. But the, the challenge is within the difference between learning and education is that they're held back with that education problem. That is regulators, that is standards, that is you know systems, which you can have really interesting ideas and like the agile frameworks we have at River Road. You know, River Road's not held by back by regulators, but some of the universities and some of the providers that do have quite innovative ideas struggle to kind of really cement them because of, you know, mm. some of those pressures of the regulators. And considering that a course um, in a standard um, non, non-self-accrediting provider, the course has to last seven years. Now, that's structurally. You can make changes. You can make, sorry, you can only make up to 25% 
changes to your course. So over seven years, you have to look into the future and look into your crystal ball well enough to know these are the skills, these are the things that are going to be important. And obviously, you know, um, and, and this is definitely not looking at the negatives, but this, this is what struggles with some of the music and creative arts providers that we work to. We don't need to name names, but we know that some of those structural restrictions that are put onto education providers can restrict their ability to to be agile, to be yeah. aggressive in the market, to be able to say, this student needs this sort of learning and this is what they need. Yeah. They can come in, they can leave with a level of accomplishment because that student that did the one trimester, if there was just one trimester certificate or something that just said, hey, come in, get what you're going to need, but you exit with, whether it's a qualification or at least mm. a, a sense of, of completion, yeah. Uh, that's a much better outcome for everybody involved rather than him just doing one trimester and then leaving one-sixth of the course in. And I think as we move on, and, you know, it's cliche, you know, tech's moving really fast, we're all moving really fast, things are happening now, Um, we need to start thinking about what's happening in, in the next two years. And traditionally, with most educators, we're talking about what's historically happened. We're looking at the past, um, especially with tech. I did an IT course in my media degree, and my teacher said the internet will always just be a fad. I passed that 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 module, ironically, because it was just I, I learned MS Paint and I was I was quite good at it because I'm a creative. But um, he said internet's just a fad. It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. It's it's just a way to uh, maybe look at cheap porn. Um, however true, um, it, he was completely and utterly wrong. That was the, he had an opportunity there to inspire his students. And we needed to learn about the internet. We wanted to learn about the internet. It was 1992, 90, no, it was 1994. It was, a, it was the burst. He should have been inspiring us about this, this new thing, but he didn't. He was just running the, the curriculum and exactly what he needed to do that he's been told to. So that's why agile learning really, really excites me. The objective to all this is that people say, well, I don't need to do any of this. I could just go to YouTube. I can just go to, I, I, um, there's, there's plenty of things I can look online. Still, you're always going to need experts, but it's about choosing your experts, choosing your industry practitioners. And, 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 and putting them in those platforms. And that's why River Road's so special. And this is not a sales pitch. We're just talking about education. We, you know, River Road, we've, we have several experts. We only choose the, um, the ones that, that the, as Pat calls them, River Roaders, that people that, that inspire and, and are into the ethos of agile learning. Because Pat could be right today, but tomorrow things might change. So we need educators that are teaching our kids and our adults and our mature adults, whoever they may be, whoever the market may be, that 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 can learn um, and change their ethos quite quickly. Because yeah. things are moving quickly. We're, we're, Let's not deny it. Yeah. Things are moving quickly. Like we're, we're, we're definitely in, um, and I think you know, it might be a number of years, we're, we're in a state of transition. Like even thinking about course design and, and very much music course design, uh, and I don't have to pick any one provider. There was there was all the all the music. I'm talking about conservatoriums. I'm talking about institutes of music. Um, there was a transition, probably around the late '90s, as technology became more available for music makers. 
um, and I'm talking about software, not necessarily synthesizers, uh, where a composition course was developing into a composition or music production course. Um, and there was always audio courses, but a composition course was very much traditionally, uh, and this is up to the late 90s, traditionally based on the classical style. So 400 years history of teaching composition in an apprenticeship style of, of, of uh, delivery with you know theory and skills, then orchestration and arrangement and instrumental skills. And your projects would very naturally go from a solo instrument to a trio, uh, ensemble up to an orchestral piece. And there was no there was no negotiation. That that's that was a composition. Can, I, can course. you educate me? Sorry to interrupt. Can you educate me? Is there a, a right way or a wrong way to learn chords? Like, it, you know, is is there? I know. Kind of everyone kind of kind of always goes to the jazz chords and you know oh, it's kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it's same in the classical stuff with the, with composing. Do you need to do that first in order to? become a successful songwriter do you need to know the basics is it like when i hire an office administrator i want them to know the basics of photoshop i want them to know the basics of a spreadsheet is it the same in writing a song or, or can you this is, this can is... you be completely lawless <laughs> you got a piano and you just make stuff of course you can like and and, and there will be very strong opinions on on this but i i very much come from the school of no, you don't need that theory at all. Like, I, I was playing songs, I was writing songs before I really understood anything theoretically. Um, I'm a strong believer of um, interactive learning and interactive listening. That's what my master's was on. And it really researched the idea that composing music is primarily governed by the ear and that uh, getting too heavily bogged down with theory can restrict your creative flow. But, it, but, it, but does that depend on your objective? If your objective is to become commercially successful, we know certain chord progressions and anthemic songs that do well commercially, right? So does that through, through the analysis process? Yes, but I, I would I would very much um, don't get me wrong. You know, you've got I know people that are very commercially successful. Uh, uh, you know, Eric Chappis is one who has done very great things, but he head on heart very publicly, so I don't have to, this isn't a secret of his, um, claims that he doesn't know music theory. Um, I, I, I always argue that he does have a level of music theory, but that compared to Paul Mack, who was trained, who was a trained musician, mm. and equally mm. you know, had done some really great things from both the commercial TV, uh, as sorry, t TV as well as commercial releases and, and music and performance. Um, you got to look at people who are working in TV production um, and understanding. Okay, well, what is it they're trying to trying to produce? If it's a TV advert that needs some electronic beats, oh. yes, yeah, someone who's really mastered the use of Ableton, uh, and this is definitely not a downplay. I believe an electronic musician who has mastered again, just as use Ableton in a way like an instrument to produce music using their own set of theories or their own collection of knowledge and skills, produce an outcome that still required the same level of interactive listening or, or, or oral skills or, or um, cognitive skills than the person who orchestrated an orchestra and recorded an orchestra and their instrument was uh, finale or you know the quill and the notation. Yeah. Um, they're exactly the same. Now, the person who notates and does a, 
you know, very large orchestral score, does get elevated to this higher level of musicianship. Mm. Uh, but when I put them under the same banner of sound musicianship, where they're all producing sound, and the creative decisions that went into producing that orchestral piece are the same level of cognitive decision-making that the electronic musician did without knowing what a C major chord is, but needed to understand the, the functionality and, and had the skills of producing very high-quality electronic music in, in, in Ableton. They're on the same, the same kind of... So it's know, a bit subjective like art. So you, you know what sounds bad... And you know what sounds good, yes. but how you get there? Yeah, like I, I, I could, I could very, you know, if if, if we were doing a whiteboard session, um, I could break down how the the process of orchestrating an orchestra. Am I a great orchestra? Can I write for orchestra really well? No, no, you wouldn't hire me yeah. to do your next big orchestral film score. You'd get the Christopher Gordon. Well, he's just lost a job. <laughs> just lost a gig the, line sorry. next Friday at the Opera House. That, that's where the Christopher Gordons, <laughs> uh, you know, Guy Gross, some of those really, um, you know, I'm talking about Australian composers, which which we should. Uh, um, you know, th th these are guys that have really understand, uh, and, and even Caitlin Yeo, th th these guys have really understood the process of balancing acoustic instruments on on the on the staff lines um, in a notated environment, um, the outcome is still the end game. Like yeah, if 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 the the outcome or the client or the gig or the or the director wants a particular outcome, you know they're going to go for that. And that's where um, uh, you know even even Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross with all their electronic scores. You know, here are guys who just, you know, they won the Oscar for the social network. Here are guys that just sat in, the, in a very, you know, similar room to this with just synthesizers and all sorts of sounds. And all they focused on was making sound. There was not a, a crotchet or a quaver to be seen anywhere. And they just kind of created their score and sent it off to the editor. They didn't even do it to picture. Yeah. And it was always this kind of when, when they won the Oscar or when Trent got up there, you know, there's still a the bit of a... He was, you know, it's it's one of those things where they they got criticised a bit because they didn't follow the traditional. So there is route. a there is a snobbery with that that sort the, of the creation. Is, I, I do not subscribe to it. I think it's all rubbish. Yeah. I think it's absolutely um, not uh, unnecessary. It's all about the sound. It's all about the outcome. And if someone mm. sculpts that sound with the instruments and the tools that are available to them compared to this person who sculpts their sounds with the instruments and tools available to them, it's, it's again, back to an agile environment where we're talking about how you get from A to B is dependent on the person and their skills and what they come in with. Um, that outcome can be absolutely mind-blowing if it still achieves that desired outcome to suit what, what they're creating. Whether, again, album... Um, you know, a film score, TV advert, what, whatever it is. Um, and that's, you know, and this is where the learning, we have to be really careful as educators. And this is why I like that difference between education and learning. Because le learning very much talks about the pedagogy or, or, the, or the process and how someone explores uh, the things that they need to learn. Education is in the environment and, and the, you know, whether that's a bricks and mortar location where someone goes to learn and the philosophies or the, the ethos that that place brings um, compared to um, education being 
um, a structured, you know, sort of environment. So what are, I mean, you've been through that um, briefly there, but the benefits of the Agile and not doing bricks and mortar, firstly, we've got, We've got freedom, yeah, so you can learn when you want and where you want. We know this, and I'm a marketer, but, you know, it's kind of, that, that's, a, that's a selling point. You can learn when you want, what you want, where you want. Um, what are the other benefits, except for obviously the fiscal yeah. the stuff, you know? Yeah. Agility in learning is much like, uh, you know, the, the, the work environment. You know, um, I, I'm a strong believer, and again, Adam probably, um, you know, I, I have this, uh, even though I don't completely subscribe to it, I have this idea that, you know, days shouldn't be labelled. Day is just, it's just another day. If you want to, if you no, feel I'm sorry, like... sorry, Sunday is Sunday. That's... <laughs> but if yeah. you've got, if you've got... Pat's the only one that subscribes to this. <laughs> and you're listening to this podcast, Sunday is Sunday. <laughs> Relax. Spend some time with your kids. Have a swim. Go but to do, the beach. But but if if something's flowing on a Sunday, <laughs> it's not like sorry, brain, switch off. On it's Sunday. I, I just believe, you know, you, you've you've got to you've got to work it when you're most op, most uh, at your optimum um, capabilities. And, and composers, and this is also having worked in film and TV, that's how everyone kind of works in that space. Now mm. uh, there's always deadlines, but it's about trying to. Capitalize now. Learning, and I just say that with with you know, again in the workspace, we've we've really stuck in a rut in regards to the nine to five model. And I haven't got a lot of research in the, in this space, but I understand it's very much based on the production line and just things, you know, moving along. And if, if everybody does their eight hours, then we can account. It's accountable, and we can calculate, and we can work out our profit and loss really well. I'm very much from a task based environment. I don't, really don't care about my, uh, well, if employees um, are doing their 40 hours, I'm very much focused on this needs to be done by Thursday for these reasons. If they can do the quality of work that's required all Wednesday into Thursday 5 o'clock, yeah, if they want to have Monday, Tuesday off, I I know this is, it's more of a, of a, a philosophy rather than a practical thing. But bringing it back to learning, this is this is where we're really struggling with a lot of students. You've got nine o'clock classes uh, for musicians who have probably played that night. You know, um, you, you, you've got structured timelines, which which really where students say. And I remember working with composition students who would come to me and say, "I'm just not thinking at nine o'clock. Mm. I can't do these nine o'clock lectures." Uh, I'm going to be completely honest with you, Pat. I don't think at nine o'clock, <laughs> <laughs> but I always get my tasks done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, again, the, the framework and, and you know, what, what we explore quite excitedly is, is practical solutions to support this framework, but the framework has to allow for the student to find their optimum time, environment in which to, um, you know, do their learning. Like, I, I love the idea of, you know, when we, the fact that we are doing this online environment and even the teachers but if the teachers are on tour, they can do their classes. If the teacher can get Wi-Fi on the on the top of Mount Kosciuszko, they can do their lessons from there. Yeah. It's this thing where we, we kind of t- feel too held down and structured to having to 
do things in a particular way and um, when you're passing on knowledge or you're talking about stuff or you're giving student feedback on their work or you're sharing screens and you're showing you know how, Albert, how, how Ableton works or particular software we're now we're, we're coming through this transition from a very regimented learning environment we're not out of it yet um, there's still you know a lot of, lot of the providers are still trying to shift into this space and more and more technology and more and more online um, opportunities will allow for universities and higher ed providers to get there but yeah I'm a big big believer that we, we can do it now but is this just an age thing like when everyone's in power you know when the, the guys that are 30 odd and 40 odd when we're all 70 and we're running the show um, essentially with the kind of senior academics and the, the, the VCs and the chancellors of the, you know, um, there'll be a new thing. We'll be all stuffy saying, well, we believed in agile. In our day, we used to do agile. They'll be like, no, it's, is, it, is it a circle? Is it, are things going to change again? Or is it just an age thing now with education? Or has tech kind of changed everything because this whole new platform of we're all online... We can share stuff. It, it, yeah. I think we're going to be stagnant for a while. We're going to be in this really exciting space, to be quite honest, for the next 20 to 30 years. Or is it going to... I don't understand. I don't see how it's going to change again. It, it's it's going to... Yeah, it's... it's. I guess stagnant's the... You know, it's, it's definitely... We're going, to, we're going to be treading water in regards to what learning looks like uh, for, for many years. And that's also uh, based on, and again, if we're still talking about adult education and, and, and tertiary for that matter, uh, the international uh, student growth. Like, that, they get, that, that's going to continue to grow and it's going to continue to govern uh, the sort of structures that universities will put into their courses because yeah. it is appealing. Uh, the international market, um, you know, they... they uh, a structured university course is appealing to a lot of cultures, so we that that's probably going to take you know some time for that to to kind of um, you know show its face. But my my personal view on I guess frameworks and structuring um, courses is that there there isn't an endpoint. Um, we we do have courses that say you start here and then you end. Our, our kind of friend and colleague Greg White really made it clear I think to both of us at some point that you have a course where, which it starts and ends and let's just imagine a student who gets 50 for the majority of the units in their first trimester that means they're going into the second trimester they've been allowed to progress to the next stage of units only really understanding 50% of the content required to technically allow them to proceed. Now, there is a lot of research and a lot of evidence that shows that once you start that, that curve, you're kind of getting a pass. So you've just, you've got 60, for mm -hmm. example. In that same stream, let's just say it's a digital technology stream. If you get 60 in a kind of digital technology unit, you know, the first one, you're probably going to get 50 for the second one because you kind of needed that extra 40% of content to be understood mm -hmm. to fully absorb the stage two of that unit. And they didn't and learn it. They didn't learn it, but they're allowed to progress, which means they're immediately going to struggle in the next yeah. unit. Yeah. And then it's just a downward slope. 
uh, unless they find ways to pick up on the do or they, you know, I would work with students allowing them to sit in the stage one unit again to try and pick up on the things that they yeah. lost. But this is where I don't look at educational designs as a linear uh, structure, but very much the circular structure and much more of a kind of a, a, a cycle, which basically saying, okay, here, here are some topics and here are some units or here is, here is a, 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 a bunch of learning that we want you to do for this first stage. But we're going to support you. We're not going to make you. We're going to support you by allowing you to cycle around that content until you fully understand it. And at that point, you can venture out. Yeah. And again, that's at, a, that's at agility, but it's also understanding that, that that can continue for the rest of their lives. And I think in regards to the when we get old... You know, there, there's an understanding that learning hasn't changed over the hundreds of, you know, thousands of years that, that, that we've, you know, been in existence from even the early apes of understanding if they strike a rock against, you know, two stones together, they get a spark, they learn. Yeah. Okay, so they didn't just go, oh, that's interesting, and throw the rocks away. Mm. They did it again and again. Usually they, they, they learned how to make fire. Mm. That never changed. The, th- the thing that we... That we we don't support students today is that we, we show them how to strike the rocks. They They've got lighters make, now, so it's <laughs> a lot easier. We, we show them how to <laughs> strike the rocks. They don't make a fire, but we let them go, it's okay, just move on. It's yeah. like, well, no, no, keep showing them other ways in which to make the fire until they make the fire. Yeah. This is the problem. We're killing students by allowing them to go on and they're nowhere near ready to move on. And that's a big well, what that's I'm bringing good, into River Road, and what I'm really passionate about is uh, that process. Now I think that's a great, um, great example um, for someone that you know I was particularly creative because all my teachers were awful because I went to a school run by monks that <laughs> you, know, you know kind of religion was the kind of primary motive and right. and hittiness um, <laughs> quite regularly, especially <laughs> myself. But um, um, there was no diversion. It what it was the end. It was the end. It was the exam. It, it that was it. That's English education, you know, and it was especially the GCSEs, the um, English equivalent of the HSC, and 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 you had to do that. Then you had to do A levels, and that's and 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 that was that. And I got a mercy pass. I always did well um, getting through. But I, I I can honestly say, I learned absolutely nothing. Like really nothing, like 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 some only Mr. Briggs, as I've discussed before, um, taught me some life skills, and that's about mentorship. Um, so what's different with River Road, as we discussed before? There is that one-on-one experience, though. You have got the one-on-one experience, so you still got that. So I think the mentorship mentorship thing is it. I mean, that's the thing. When I looked at the tertiary space when I was there in various universities, that's the one thing I always heard, that was the one positive thing I always got from alumni, people there, or left or dropped out or whatever, was I love that one-on-one stuff. And that's the River Road's, that's still, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's an active component of the, the offering, yeah? Yeah, and, that, and that, that's kind of um, something which really took more shape, uh, you know, mid-last year, so mid-2019, mid because, you know, River Road, you know, myself and, and Mark Haverleaf uh, and Luke Warren had developed an app. And our core, our core interest, and, you know, you know, we're going to put it on the App Store. We thought, you know, 
we might make a little bit of money, but we're really just more interested in can we create an app that allows uh, the student to get qualitative feedback. So quantitative feedback, yes, that's like do a little quiz and we'll tell you how well you did by on a technical measurements. But to really be able to use the app, you create a piece of music and we base it on electronic music. Um, you write the electronic music track, but along the way, the uh, adaptive learning tool would give you qualitative feedback. And Luke had written out hundreds of responses where it's okay, well, what would you say to a student if, if they did this within the app? Yeah. And we programmed it all. And it wasn't so much, um, definitely wasn't AI. It was definitely just more machine learning. When this happened, you get this response. But it, yeah, the app would speak to you. We are kind of using the kind of onboard uh, voice uh, software that came with kind of Apple devices. And yeah, as you do it, and then it'd say, hey, you know, say like, hey, hey, that's really cool. Have you thought about doing this? And it just kind of like, well, we achieved exactly what we set out to do, uh, but it wasn't real. It was nothing kind of, meets nothing beats Mr. Briggs. Yeah, we we, we <laughs> kind of, we're still in this this world. It may this may be forever, and I hope it is at least in my lifetime. Um, is is that we we. We crave in a creative environment still that human interaction. A performer gets on stage because they, they want the, the, the audience to give them feedback, like, like real-time feedback, that they're cheering, they're dancing, they're doing something. In education, as the student, we kind of want the same thing. If we, we want to show our track that we've just written with all our vulnerabilities, with all our fears. You know, with, you know, I've worked with so many students where I have been the very first person that's ever heard their heard their music. That human, that one-on-one -on -one experience, is such a sacred environment that it, it can't be uh, replicated in technology, at least not not in the near future of what I've seen. Will our kids? Will our kids become more uh. susceptible to AI or Siri or, or whoever? Or um, who's the um, Samsung? The um, Alexa? Oh, she's saying, horrible. But, 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 but Alexa's like saying, listen to your track and giving you feedback. Maybe the next generation who are, have been born into these devices may be and they might able be more to cope with that. Sophisticated. It, it, it make it more sophisticated. But essentially, this one-on-one -on -one is a super important process uh, to um, you know supporting a student to better themselves and better their music through a one-on-one -on -one interaction. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be really interesting to see how how it evolves, but um, um, this space is not only exciting, um, but I, I, the, the the beginning of of the future of of uh, of learning, and I don't like to say education because it is learning. Yeah, um, e education. I, I've, I'm starting to really see is about an institute. And it's about a way in which uh, you know pe people come together, but le learning, uh, which which River Road is, but learning is very much uh, an individual uh, process. Learning can't be uh, kind of um, one size fits all. And, and and also that that the mentorship that we touched on before, that could be collaborative stuff. So your peers could be a mentor as well. Yeah. You know, oh, so, massively. so we've, we've got yeah. that huge thing, you know, yeah. it's like when you're in a band, you, you know, there could be your bass player that just oh. kind of shows you some 
you know, that, that's some, structures, some chord structures, or something, or whatever, and you, you know, and massively, you know, and, and and that's definitely a topic for an, for another day. Is oh. that collaborative environment? Like, I, I still think I, you know, you talk about what what did you what did we learn, and especially from, you know, doing music qualification, there's a lot that I know I did learn, but my memories are still ingrained in that garage band days that where I was, you yeah. know, playing with friends and, mm-hmm. and just really understood a lot about music by showing what you could do and then someone show you something and you there's always much, someone better than you in the band isn't there there's always <laughs> someone better but um the environment in the right environment is is uh not about getting with a mentor um or a teacher who's got 30 years of experience it's just getting with the right teacher and again the, the big thing that, that i'm passionate about is is about frameworks that not only mm. identify the learning pathway and the knowledge and skills, but the type of of uh, teacher that's really going to fit fit their thing. And as you know, like we're very much looking in that space of the a platform which supports people coming on board to be mentors that don't necessarily um, need you know all these research and you know use thousands of years of, ex- of teaching experience but very much say this is what I can offer and a student going well that's exactly what I need mm. you know uh, we've got some really interesting people who are starting to come on board with River Road um, uh, Ryan's one of them who he's he just found such an innovative way of teaching music theory it's like well that's that's what's cool about it you're not going from it from a, a 30 years experience approach you're looking at it really with fresh eyes and you've found a really way, easy way that he's helping a lot of students understand music theory a lot better than the teacher who has yeah the 30 years experience yeah. who's con- confusing the hell out of them. So it's very much about finding uh, the person who can break something down for you rather than just going straight for that teacher who, yes, has the... All the t- all the gigs, all the credit lists, and the years and years of experience. That you know, it's a very much a personal thing. I think that was a very good kind of yep. discussion. A lot kind of covered. Uh, I think our core takeaways with this is is really understanding that that difference between education and learning. And I think there's there's some really cool things uh, that we can speak to around uh, collaborative learning and and that sort of uh, process moving forward. But um, but to you all listening, uh, please subscribe. Um, we'd love to hear your comments uh, and reviews. Uh, please interact with us by letting us know what guests you'd like to see. And we've got some um, exciting people coming up. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we, could we throw out names yet? Not quite yet. Not quite. Just subscribe. Subscribe and we'll, we'll let you know <laughs> as we go. Uh, but thanks, Adam. Um, no, thanks, Pat. It's been great. Cool. It's been an education. No, it's been a learning experience. It's been a learning. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank For more information on River Road and its courses, go to riverroad.edu.au.